think of some kind of difficulty for, for perhaps for some of us, there's a, a scary memory associated with darkness. Uh, we th- maybe when we think about darkness, we think about our discomfort that might come with being, diffi- uh, being in the darkness. Is it, uh, is it easy to navigate? Is it easy to move around in the darkness? Is it easy to navigate in the darkness? <laughs> yeah, I mean, typically, it's harder to drive at night, right? If we get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom like I sometimes do, you might stub your toe on the dresser. Uh, difficult to navigate the bedroom even at, at night. Again, um, these scary memories and, and whatever it might be that usually the darkness is pretty uncomfortable. And so, so of course, we prefer uh, usually you know, want some kind of light. There's a night light in the hallway. We need, we need some kind of light to help us through. Uh, what about this? Uh, how many of you have ever played a game where you're blindfolded or closing your eyes and a friend has to lead you around? Anybody ever done that? How many relate to being blindfolded or closing your eyes? And Okay, good. And, uh, and, and having a friend tell you where to go, right? You're, you're blindfolded, you got your eyes closed, you can't see, you, it's, it's dark, and, and you need kind of the light, so to speak, of a guide to to help you figure out where to go. And so there, we, sometimes we'll play this game where we guide our friend around, telling them, you know, two steps forward, okay, now turn right in one step and step over this obstacle or watch out for that or put your hand on the wall, um, those kind of things. Well, being blindfolded is like being in the dark. It, it's dark, we can't see, we need help, we need a guide. Uh, and so if you're playing that game and you're the one blindfolded, what do we need to have toward that person who's guiding us? Trust, right? I mean, we need to, we need to have faith. We need to trust them. We, we need to believe that they're going to help us out, that they're going to tell us where we need to go, that they're going to keep us safe. And so we do. We need to trust them. We need to follow their instructions. We need to submit ourselves to them. I looked up the definition of this word submission. It's on the screen. Uh, the idea of accepting or yielding ourselves to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. So, so in our blindfold, we don't have the authority over ourselves really anymore. We don't have control of the circumstances. We can't see where we're going. And so we have to accept or yield someone else to, to lead us or to guide us in that way. And so I want to tell you a story about uh, someone submitting to the guidance of another person. Uh, And this story is about uh, my wife, Amy, and her sister. Uh, And so it was, was, uh, my wife, Amy, was 10 years old at the time, and she likes to tell this story, and I got her permission to tell it this morning. She is about 10, and it was was her sister's 13th birthday, and they had, an, uh, they had the history of playing this blindfold game. They had enjoyed it. They had in- done this many times where they would take turns, one being blindfolded and the other giving the instructions and leading them around. And so they began this game kind of like I was describing a few minutes ago. You know, Amy was leading her sister. Lisa was blindfolded. Lisa, go three steps forward. Okay, turn right. Okay, step over the hose on the ground. You know, whatever it was, the, get around these obstacles. Well, the the game proceeded from inside the house, around obstacles inside the house, out through the sliding door onto the back patio. And um, and Amy was, uh, you know, successfully guiding Lisa around these obstacles, over the hose, around the lawn chair, et cetera, et cetera, in uh, in the backyard. And then a thought crossed my wife's mind. (laughs) Perhaps you'll relate to having a stray thought sometimes. She had been doing this 
fine job of leading Lisa around, unscathed, not running into things, of, you know, keeping her safe. And this thought crossed her mind about an option that she had in front of her. And 10-year-old Amy uh, decided to, where it should have been a left turn, told Lisa to go right. And on her 13th birthday, fully clothed, Lisa ended up in the family swimming pool. And Amy thought that was quite funny. And Lisa thought it was, about 30 years later, Lisa thought it was funny too. No, I guess, I don't think it took that many years. Um, But here was Lisa, right, submitting to another person, yielding control, accepting this this other person to guide her around. And I I would just maybe perhaps just offer that maybe submitting to your little 10-year-old sister was probably not the best idea, right? to get yourself out of the darkness. All right, well, before we get to um, the, the main scripture text we want to look at together this morning, I want to I have us do a quick run through some other things we see in God's word, some other places we see in the Bible um, where God is referred to, is looked forward to as light, as light in the darkness. And so one of the places we want to think about is uh, in the history of God's people, when we read our, the Old Testament portion of our Bible, one of the things we, we know about God's people was that there was a period of time when they were in slavery in Egypt. And then, God's peop- or then God worked through these many miracles to finally convince the ruler, Pharaoh at the time, to, to let the people go and to f- give them their freedom. And so God worked in miraculous ways. God's people were freed from slavery in Egypt and, and began this journey out into the wilderness. And then, of course, eventually God would lead them to their land, his promised land for them. And so in, in this part of history of God's people when they are being freed from slavery in Egypt and they're on their way into the wilderness, Exodus 13, 21 says this, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. This traveling light, this pillar of fire, became known later in church history as the Shekinah glory. This, this glorious pillar of fire. And then and during the day, it was, it was kind of clouded by a cloud instead so that it could be seen. But, it, but it, this became known as the Shekinah glory, this, this marvelous light that would guide God's people. This pillar of fire. And it signified that God was present Right? It made visible, this pillar of fire, this light, made visible who was invisible. It was the visible manifestation of their God. And it represented that, that God was present with his people and that he would lead them. And so that same uh, passage in Exodus continues and says, The pillar of cloud by day, here's a representation of that. And the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people, from in front of the people. God signified his presence to them through the Shekinah glory, through this pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. And there's many, many other references in the Old Testament portion of our Bible uh, referring to God as light, including Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light, so whom shall I fear? Grab your Bibles and open, if you would, to John chapter 1, verse 1. 
Uh, we're going to be in the, back in the New Testament portion of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to be in John chapter 1, verse 1. Love you to bring your Bibles with you to Faith Church. We like to keep our fingers in the text and we want to hear from God through his word. So pull out your Bible or pull out your uh, phone and open your Bible app and turn, if you would, to John chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll start there in just a moment. Father God, we lift our eyes to you and look to you this morning needing to hear from you. So open our hearts and minds to hear from you. God, we do relate to, to being um, stumbling and confused and frustrated in the darkness of life sometimes. We do relate to um, being scared of the dark. And so, God, we, while we may feel blindfolded, while we may uh, stumble around, God, help us to, to see you this morning. Help us to open our eyes to you. Help us to know that you are our light and our guide. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 1 begins with this phrase, in the beginning. Is there another book of the Bible that starts with that phrase? Yes, back at the beginning of our Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it starts with the same phrase, in the beginning. And of course, in Genesis, it tells us then the story of the creation of the world and how God was there before the creation of all things and how he made all things and all people and all animals, etc. And now, very intentionally, in John chapter 1, verse 1, John uses that same phrase, in the beginning, to kind of bring back that Genesis cre uh, language, that, uh, that creation account to our minds. He wants us to think along those same lines. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later in this passage, John explains to us that the Word is who? Jesus. So reading that again, now knowing that that's who John is talking about. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. In other words, Jesus always has been, he is, and he always will be. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Turn a couple pages, if you would, to John chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to read some more, starting at one of the most well-known and one of the most beloved verses of Scripture in all of God's Word. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God loved the world in such a way that he gave his son, that he willingly sent his son, that he not only sent his son, sort of giving up his only son in the sense of sending him to us, but also giving him up in the fact that Jesus willingly lived and died and rose again so that we could find new life and be friends with God. So John 3.16 says, God loved the world in such a way that he gave his only son that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved, rescued through Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, and whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name 
of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The light has come into the darkness. The light has come to lead the blindfolded and the confused and the struggling. The light has come into the world. But what does it continue to say there? This next phrase is incredible. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We, uh, as humans, are, are, are prone to sin. Sin is when we rebel against God's good ways, when we go against his best, when we choose our own path, then our, and our sin comes with consequences. And we live, this is all too familiar to us, hopefully. I think we're well aware of it. Unfortunately, as we look around in, in our circumstances, we live in a, in a broken world. The entrance of sin into the world has caused things to be in disarray. Things are not as God intended them to be. Things are broken. And so our sin and our rebellion against God has consequences. And the brokenness around us in our lives brings suffering and trials and difficulties. This darkness that we experience, this darkness we experience in our world, in our own life, causes us to struggle around in confusion and stumbling and stubbing toes and sometimes falling into the pool. Verse 20. Chapter 3, verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Jumping back up to verse 19, that incredible phrase, I want us to wrestle with it for a second. The light had come into the world and people, what? Loved the darkness, chose the darkness. Wait, wait, the light has come into the world and the people chose darkness. And then back down to verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light because his works would then be exposed. That's why we're so uncomfortable when we think of the light, when we think of truth, when we think of God's presence entering into this darkness. And, we yet, and yet we choose darkness? We choose to hide who we are? We choose to try to hide our sin and our rebellion against him. We, we, choo we choose to not let God or other people know who we really are. We choose the darkness. Why? Because we don't want to be exposed. Because the light would show it what, what is true about the sin in my life and the darkness in my heart. And so we choose the darkness rather than the light. And verse 20 says, because our, our works would be exposed. But verse 21 says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, we can come into the light. We don't have to be perfect. You, you can be uh, broken and sinful and come into the light because anything good that happens, whatever is true that comes out of my life or your life, is because God is at work in you. Anything good, is for, anything good in me is from God's work in me. Verse 21 says, so that... We, we can come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that that's been carried out by God. God is at work. God is at work, friends, in our lives for our good and his glory. No matter what you're going through, no matter the ups and downs of life, no matter whether it's joys and rejoicing and, and successes, or whether it's difficulties and trial and suffering and, and the bottom of the roller coaster, God is with you and he is at work for your good and his glory. That's important to know. And one day, 
God will make all things right again. Things will be back to how he intended them to be. And so that brings us to this morning's key verse. We've talked a little bit about other places in the Bible that, that look forward, that point us forward to God as, as light, that point us forward to, the, to God as, as the coming light. And so now we want to get to our, our I am statement for today. And before we do, though, I want us to understand what's happening right before Jesus says this I am statement that we're going to look at today. I want us to understand the backdrop, the setting of, of what, what's happening before Jesus pronounces this I am statement that we're studying today. And here's what's happening. Um, in the history of God's people, uh, the, the people of Israel were, were uh, commanded to celebrate. There, there, were, there was multiple feasts, festivals, these opportunities that God instituted, that God said, hey, I want you to celebrate. I want you to throw a party. And so th the Bible instructs in many places on such and such a day, in such and such a month, I want you to do this and I want you to celebrate and I want you to have this feast. And, and the reason is, is God institutes these parties, these feasts, these festivals for them to remember what he's done. And, and in the case of, of this one, one of these feasts is called the Festival of the Tabernacles or Feast of the Tabernacles or Booths. And what's happening here is this, this feast was to remind God's people of the exodus, of, of God leading them safely out of slavery and into freedom and onto the promised land. And this feast of the tabernacles was instituted so that they would remember that God is with them and that God is guiding them and leading them in life. And so they have this feast. Well, God's people celebrated the feast of tabernacles all through their history right up until, uh, right up until this, the time of Jesus. And so we read in John chapter 8, verse 12, this I am statement of Jesus. And, and what I want us to know that's happening is, is uh, and we'll show a picture of this, in the temple there was four glorious lampstands, these four golden lamps that, would, that were lit at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles that lit up the whole city. It was this impressive light display, these four lamps, these four golden lamps that would illuminate the whole city. And this was part of the Feast of Tabernacles, part of remembering God's presence with them. And so it's right after the end or right near the end of the Feast of Tabernacles when Jesus says in, verse eight, in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Do you see the backdrop he picked? He picked this, this thing that was familiar to them. The people were celebrating God's presence, and, and part of the celebration was these four golden lamps that are giving this glorious light to the whole city, and they're just seeing this light shining, and they just have that fresh in their mind, and Jesus steps in and says, I am the light of the world. Do you see what he's doing there? I don't think so. Let's try a little harder. Okay, let's, okay, we don't relate to the Feast of Tabernacles and four golden lampstands. What do we relate to as an as, as a, as a impressive light show? What have you experienced in life that's just an impressive light show? Eclipse. Eclipse. That's impressive God working, right? Yeah, well, I think I heard fireworks. A spotlight in a theater. Maybe I think of theater and, you know, it's dark in the theater, but there's a spotlight bringing bright light to one person or one part of the play, or, or maybe you're in the darkness in the wilderness out hunting or out hiking, and you've got a, an incredible mag light that just lights everything up, right? Just whatever, that, whatever impressive light show comes to mind, 
right? Have that in mind. I've just seen that. Wow, that's impressive. Whoa, those fireworks. And then Jesus uses that as the backdrop to announce, I am the light of the world. You see what he's doing there? And, and that's not even the best part. It's even more than that. Not only does he use the backdrop of these lamps lighting up the whole city, and then he says, I am the light of the world. Not only that, in the Feast of Tabernacles, what did those lamps signify? Those lamps, among other things, perhaps, represented the Shekinah glory. The reason those lamps were lit, lighting up, lighting up the whole city, was to remind God's people of the Shekinah glory, the pillar of cloud and fire representing God's presence that had led them out of slavery and into the promised land. So they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with these lamps that lit up the whole city, reminding them of God's presence, reminding them of the Shekinah glory. And into that steps Jesus to proclaim, I am the light of the world. Not only am I an impressive display of light, not only am I better than four golden lampstands, I am the light of the world, meaning uh, I am identifying myself, Jesus says, with the Shekinah glory, with God's very presence with his people. Just like our I am statements in the last couple weeks, today's I am statement is saying, I am God. Jesus announcing, I am God. Two weeks ago, it was Jesus saying, before Abraham was, before Abraham existed 2,000 years ago, I am. And last week, it was Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the only thing that truly satisfies your spiritual longings, the hole in your life that needs to be filled. And now today, our, our I am statement is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, proclaiming himself to be God. Jesus is the light of the world, the one that brings truth and purity and the presence of God into our world, into our lives. I want to read to you a few words from uh, John Piper, a scholar, an author, a pastor, who wrote this better than I could say it as we just kind of think about Jesus as the light of the world. Listen. It is Jesus or darkness. There is no third alternative. No other light. It means, therefore, that all the world and everyone in it needs Jesus as their light. In these glorious ways, Jesus is the light of the world. True, he will reveal your sins. Now, when you hear that, I don't know how about you, but our first response is to choose the darkness. The light of the world will reveal your sins. Uh, maybe we read that a few minutes ago. Maybe that's why people choose darkness. Reveal my sins. That doesn't sound very good. But listen to what he writes. True, Jesus will reveal your sins, which is a precious gift, like the fortunate early diagnosis of a deadly cancer. Perhaps you have someone in your life right now, I do, a friend, very recently diagnosed, but this was his situation, fortunately, an early diagnosis of a deadly cancer. That's a precious gift. Here this writer is saying, that's what Jesus, the light of the world, brings to us. Yes, the light reveals sin. Yes, the light calls us out of the darkness, out from hiding, out from pretending to be someone we're not, out from pretending to be better than, from being better than we are. Yes, the true light of the world calls us out of that and sheds light on our sin. But that's a gift, an early diagnosis of a deadly cancer. And then the writer continues, but even more. 
He will reveal, Jesus will reveal all that is beautiful. He will be the light in which you see God, the light in which you see the history of redemption and the work of salvation. Nothing will be the same again when you have Jesus as your light. Friends, is this, is this true of you? Never, nothing will be the same again when you have Jesus as your light. Everything looks different in the light of Christ. Listen to this. Yes, even earthquakes and tsunamis and suffering and death. Until the light of Jesus fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. Until Jesus banishes sin and sickness and pain and earthquakes to the outer darkness. Until then, even now, his light will help you bear the sorrows of darkness. I need that. I need that today, I needed it yesterday, and I'll need it tomorrow. Jesus, to be lamp on the troubled path that life has for us. The light that will reveal the loving face of God behind every up and down in the roller coaster. So Jesus says in John 12, 36, listen to this, while you have the light, believe in the light. While you have the light of the world, while you know who the light of the world is, believe in the light. And that way you may become sons of light. This is an incredible kind of way to think about it. Jesus, the light of the world, into the world. If we believe in him and follow him, we become sons of the light, adopted into a family of the light. And you know what being in the family of the light means? It has, there's some good news about the end of our earthly journey. At the end of our earthly journey, what picture do we have? What, what picture do people around us have about death, about the end of our earthly journey? All the lights go out. That's the picture in our mind. There's going to be an end. What's going to happen? We, 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 we talked a couple weeks ago about the fear of death. We're not sure what to think. We're not sure what to look forward to. And perhaps one of the ways the world kind of thinks about it or wonders about it or worries about it is that all the lights are going to go out. But you know what? For you, follower of Jesus, the lights don't go out. For you, you have the light of the world. And so that's where Jesus starts in verse 12 is with all these incredible promises. He's offering to you the light of the world to walk and to follow and to have the light of the world be your guide when you're blindfolded. And we're not heading toward pools anymore. Right? We're not heading to falling in the pool because Jesus is the true light and the only guide for us in the darkness. His statement again, John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Now let's read the rest of that. Let's, now let's talk for a minute about the rest of that phrase. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. I, wanna, I want us to ask God this morning to help us see how life-changing this verse is. Who is Jesus? He is the I am. He and the great I am are the same. He was, is, and always will be. Jesus is God. He is the true light. Therefore, he is the only one worthy of us following he is the only one worthy of submitting to. Lisa made the mistake and found out that 10-year-old Amy was not worthy of submitting to. But Jesus is God himself, the light of the world. Come to be with us. Light to a troubled path. The only one worthy of us following and submitting to. And so... God's word said, whoever says, whoever follows me. 
what's going on in that? Whoever follows me. This is, this is more... This is more than lip service to Jesus. This is more than saying his name occasionally. This is more than occasionally coming along with Jesus when it's convenient or comfortable for us or helpful for us. Are we so convinced, friends, church family, me and you, are we so convinced that Jesus is the light? Are we so thrilled that Jesus is light to the darkness that we unite ourselves to Jesus, that we cling to him, that we find life only in him. It's, it's whoever follows me, Jesus said. This is more than just tagging along. This is more than just adding a little Jesus to our life. Do, do you know that? I mean, have you ever thought about that expression? I, I really feel that we struggle against this in our individual lives and in our culture. Do we struggle against this? Our, our world is so full of choices and activities. There's so many things that we could be involved in and hobbies and activities and what we could do and where we could spend our time and people we want to connect with and things that are my desires and my preferences and what I want to do. And I think too often we go, ah, you know what, I, I think I need to add a little Jesus. I'm a little worried about end of earthly life. I'm a little worried about that death thing. So maybe if I go to church once in a while and add a little Jesus. Oh, my kid, man, he's such a liar. Let me take him to Sunday school. Maybe they can fix him. Maybe they can add a little Jesus. Whoever follows me, this is more than just tagging along. This is more than adding a little Jesus to life. Walking in the light, following Jesus, is obeying him. Submission to the greater authority. Submission turning over life, yielding ourselves, giving control of to the one who is worthy. Submission. And I want to, and now I just want to give us a, a picture of, of following. And I want to I read something to you, and I want you to listen. And I, wanna, I want this to be an example to us of what it looks like to follow, to obey, to submit. And I want to use an example from the Bible, God's people following him. And, I, and, I, and I, normally I, I encourage you to turn somewhere and I want you to see it right in God's word and I want you to read along with me. But I'm actually going to tell you, I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 9. But I'm actually going to ask you, just close your eyes if you would. I know it might feel a little funny. Close your eyes if you would and just listen to me read from Numbers chapter 9. And I, let's ask God to use this example of God's people to be an example to us of, of what it's like to listen, to follow, to obey, to be submitted to the light. Okay, listen. Close your eyes if you'd like or just listen. And, 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 and let's, let's have this be an example of what submission looks like. Numbers 9, verse 15 and following. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. What's the cloud represent? God's presence with his people, right? The Shekinah glory, the, the cloud and the pillar of fire. The cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And at the evening, it was over the tabernacle, above the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel 
set out on their journey. And in the place where the clouds settled down, came to a stop, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, even when it stayed in the same place many days, the people of Israel kept the charge, the command of the Lord, and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, and when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or longer time that the cloud remained over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. <laughs> Does this sound a little repetitious? Are you hearing the, the, re, the, re, the recurring theme here? When God moves, you move. When he said go, they went. When he said stop, they stopped. Verse 23, at the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord. An author, another author and pastor who I was reading this week, studying, wrote this. We follow Jesus by faithful submission and obedience. And listen to this. One of the indispensable ways of living the Christian life is to learn the principle of submission. And we don't, we don't like the sound of that. That doesn't come natural to us Americans who have freedoms and rights, to us strong-willed people who have preferences and desires and things we'd like to do and, and a vision for our own life. Submission isn't exactly at the top of our list. But Kent Hughes writes, one of the indispensable ways of living the Christian life is to learn the principle of submission. And we must learn this principle again and again. What does it look like to submit? We looked at the definition a little while ago of submission. Yielding, giving ourselves over, allowing the greater authority to lead us and guide us. And the only, the only one worthy, the great I am himself, Jesus, the light of the world, is the only one worthy for us to submit to and be guided by, for him to be light in our darkness. In a, in a mischievous moment, when a certain thought crossed her mind, in a, in a mischievous moment, my 10-year-old wife led her sister into the swimming pool when her sister submitted <laughs> to the wrong authority, right? Right? But Jesus, friends, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a while or not, Jesus is the light of the world, the light in darkness, the one worthy of worship, the one worthy of submission, of moving when he says move, of stopping when he says stop, of listening for his voice in your life. Because Jesus will never leave you, he'll never forsake you, you'll never go astray. You'll never fall in the swimming pool. Father God, we thank you for your great love for us. 
for being a God who has come near to us. We, God, we thank you that you are a loving Father who has come near to us. We thank you, God, that you are a God who pursues us, who doesn't leave us in the darkness. God, we do. We relate to, to struggling and being confused and frustrated in the darkness of this world. God, we relate to the scariness of being stuck in our sin. But God, we rejoice and we worship and we praise you because you are a God who doesn't leave us in the dark, who doesn't leave us in our sin, but a loving Father who has pursued us by sending his one and only Son so that we can find life in him. God, we thank you for being a loving and pursuing God. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you for his life, death, and resurrection that makes it possible for us to have new life in you. God, we thank you for sending your son to be the light of the world, to be a, a light, a lamp to our troubled path, to being with us through all the ups and downs, God, I pray this morning for anyone in this room who, who is wondering how to, how to have this light. I, maybe there's someone in the room, I don't have this guide. I, I don't know Jesus. I, I, I need that kind of light to my path. Father, I pray for anyone who needs Jesus this morning. Would you help them to yield their life to Jesus? Would you help them give themselves to the greatest authority? Would you help them find new life in Jesus. And God, I pray for all of us that perhaps have been walking with following Jesus for a while. Um, Father, how do we help us, help us to know how we continue to walk in the light? God, would you, would you help us to lift our eyes up? Would you teach us the principle of submission? Well, while it's not what we look for, while it's not on the top of our list, while we're not sure we like the idea of submission, God, would you humble us and teach us the, the principle of submission, of yielding to you. God, thank you that as we learn to submit, to follow, to obey, thank you that we, look, we can have peace and joy and comfort that comes from the I am, God with us. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen.